In Christian circles, we talk about how our body is a temple, but we don't practice that or really like live that out in any other way, <laughs> except for being like, your body's a temple, don't have sex. Mm. <laughs> um, but beyond that, we don't actually receive any training or theology around how our bodies are actually God manifesting in the world. <laughs> All right, Jane Woods, welcome to Methods. Thank you so much for having me. So I stumbled upon your page uh, through a mutual friend, uh, Keith Christich. Um, mm -hmm. Great guy. I've had him on the podcast as well, but I thought it'd be nice to give folks a little background about who you are and what brought you to the path that you're on. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, it's definitely been a journey. I did not grow up uh, with a really strong uh, Christian foundation. I, I don't have the story of a lot of people who uh, were like an evangelical borderline fundamentalist upbringing and then got free. It's a little bit different than that. I um, was sort of loosely raised in the Methodist church. So my... Um, mother, my grandmother took me on and off, but my father was not involved in the church. He had spiritual trauma from his upbringing and still won't talk about spirituality really. So I knew enough that after I went to college and had a lot of like what you would call wayward years, <laughs> um, I kind of woke up one day and realized that there was no direction in my life, like that I just had this really strong sense of being directionless. And so um, I had a couple of Christian friends who didn't seem that way. <laughs> and I was inspired by the joy and ease that they seemed to have in their life. Um, I also played college and softball. Uh, I played softball in college and I had a great coach and he was really influential and he was a Christian. And so I just got curious and started asking them questions. And it was about a four month process of studying and, um, and inquiring. And there was a non-denominational church that I started attending. Um, and one day I got two pieces of mail and one of them was totally anonymous. Like someone had like writ written a really cute note to me to encourage me. And it had second Corinthians five seventeen, you are a new creation. And I had another piece of mail, the exact same verse on it. And it was like those coming to me together at that specific time. I was like, today is the day, like today's the day that I'm not afraid to make this conversion anymore that I'd been considering. And so I did. Uh, and so I was 20 years old and I just decided that I was going to follow Jesus, which was a really dramatic thing for me at the time to, to do where I'd been, where I'd come from and the relationships I had that I was afraid to lose and all of this. And so um, that was about 10 years ago. And a lot has happened. Um, I was formed in a pretty progressive community right after that. And so I started off with that benefit, I guess, in a lot of ways. And um, I found 
my husband and I had a really profound experience of going to spend a year on a farm after we had finished school. He got through graduate school. Um, we really, I was just working like a desk job that I hated and we just needed some major transition in our lives. And so this experience on the farm exposed me to a lot of nature, spirituality, Native American practices, and got us really in touch with our natural rhythms and the land. And I think that that was my first huge expansion. Um, and also like how I started to see that God was messaging me, could be messaging us through creation in a way that I hadn't really understood or been exposed to, certainly a theology that wasn't talked about very much in Christian circles. And after that, um, I found a spiritual director and she introduced me to Cynthia Borgio. Mm -hmm. And so Cynthia Borgio's book, A Wisdom Way to Knowing, was my pathway into contemplative Christianity. And within a year of picking that up, I was set to attend the living school um, and spent two years under Richard Rohr and Cynthia and James Finley, who is actually maybe my favorite. <laughs> and um, that was, I ended that experience in 2019. And so um, not so long ago. And since then, um, I have been introduced to Beatrice Bruto, who was my next, that was my next expansion um, this year. And I think that pretty much brings us to the present. <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's funny you say uh, Cynthia Bourgeau was kind of your uh, bridge into contemplative Christianity, because that was it was that way for me too. Um, her book, uh, Wisdom Jesus, was my first kind of like entrance way, and through that I discovered you know Richard Rohr and and Finley and all the rest mm -hmm. of the crew. But that's <laughs> awesome. I didn't know you were a, a an alum of the Living School. That's really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I read Wisdom Jesus twice this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again. It's so good. Again. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. Well. Oh my gosh. So I, I, had, I had meant to, to say something about this too, and that kind of takes me to it, but you seem to draw a lot from um, powerful voices like Brie Stoner, Cynthia Bourgeau, Beatrice Bruteau, um, others. So what are some things that you've taken from the teaching of these women to inform your own pathway, your own practice? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, I would say the embodiment piece has been pretty profound. And I think that that is what has landed the most deeply with me this year is this transition to like in Christian circles, we talk about how our body is a temple, but we don't practice that or really like live that out in any other way. <laughs> except for being like, your body's a temple, don't have sex. <laughs> mm. um, but beyond that, we don't actually receive any training or theology mm. around how our bodies are actually God manifesting in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so that shift has been so significant for me. And this summer, so this summer I studied Beatrice Bruto under Bree Stoner. It was very powerful. Um, we read the Holy Thursday Revolution, which I, I literally just cannot recommend enough. Um, but even and the 
I want to give credit to Brie for taking us through that book with an embodied lens. And even at the very start of the study saying to us like, you know, Beatrice wrote this in like, I think it was 2005. And, um, let's not forget the significance of embodiment because even in 2005, Beatrice wasn't really writing about that. Her themes are so related to it, but she wasn't like just saying it outright. Like this is all about embodiment kind of. So Brie brought that in and sort of grounded us and rooted us in that concept as we absorbed like Beatrice's teachings so I really appreciated that. I mean, I also have a background in yoga. I'm a yoga teacher. Um, and so I naturally relate to that understanding. But I think there was a major shift for me through grounding Cynthia and Beatrice's teachings in this understanding that my very body is, is God. <laughs> like, is God in form. And I think that I hadn't really gotten it in those terms so clearly before. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, so that kind of, I wanted to talk about that too, but my, my next question was what does embodiment mean to you? But, but you kind of answered that. So, but how does it connect with, um, the practice of meditation or the practice of yoga because yoga means union. And so how does it, how do you connect from the embodiment piece to the union piece? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, there's like a fundamental disconnect where we think that being in our body is different than being in union with God. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm coming more fully into the awareness that in the experience of being in my body, I am in full union with God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where having the meditation practice is so important because it brings us back to that. Like I, that's my experience. I'm a, I'm a centering prayer practitioner. And my experience with that is that through the emptying, the kenosis of it, are we really able to experience reality um, clearly and with any truth, like with any truth. And I think that that is like the fullness of being in our body right here, just as we are not escape, not like trying to escape it, but to more fully be in it so that we're really pre like we're really present. And I think that's where the presence piece um, and the embodiment piece like overlap. Pre meditation is all about cultivating presence. Mm -hmm. Presence is being fully in our bodies. Like there's nowhere else to go or be as long as we're on earth. And mm -hmm. we're here to be on earth for now. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and I think we get confused about that sometimes. Like we, we, you know, people think they're just waiting on heaven or whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, yeah, it does. I, I kind of, I tend to look at like, 
um, embodiment kind of as a way, because the, the way that I view um, meditation practice is basically that, like you said, that surrendering um, posture and that self-emptying um, mm-hmm. even to the concepts that we have in our mind. And so we even have a concept of who we are and what our body is and what the environment is. And so the more we release those concepts, the more we can directly perceive reality as it is. And our body is kind of the instrument that we have of perceiving reality. And so, you know, we kind of, as we become more embodied, we can more directly perceive the sensations for what they are rather than labeling them and experiencing them as concepts. Precisely. Like you said so well, that was such a great summary. Thank you. (laughs) And it brings up for me, like it makes me think because Cynthia's teachings, her, a lot of her foundation is all about the three ways of knowing and the alignment of the three ways of knowing. Um, And that being so completely embodied, (laughs) you know, like it's so, and I was so formed by her um, description in a wisdom way of knowing of going to Eagle Island and doing a retreat there um, with a small group of people and their daily rhythms. And it's the aura at labora concept, um, prayer and work. And, you know, they spent big chunks of the day, like doing hard labor, chopping wood or something like that. Um, other parts of the day chanting to re- like that vibe, that embodied vibration. Um, and so I'm very interested in that concept and that alignment, which I think is just so body based. Like mm-hmm. we, we want to bring all those parts online so that we're actually perceiving reality for what it is mm-hmm. because we're no, we're now free from the illusions that you're alluding to (laughs) yeah yeah um so here's here's like a kind of offshoot from that Mm -hmm. that that i was curious about like um i'm an enneagram nine i don't know if you're familiar with the the system but yeah um so enneagram nines are typically very like um gut-based intuitive um but also ironically we're the most separated from our bodies And so like, you know, physical exercise is is one way that I, you know, am able Mm -hmm. to, to reconnect in that, in that aspect. Um, And embodiment practice can draw people into the present experience, like I was saying, and also just help them accept their body, Mm -hmm. whereas formerly they may have rejected it. And so in that way, it's kind of a healthy thing, but um, the, the lens of, uh, spirituality with which I kind of come from um, places a lot of emphasis on um, not identifying with the body. And so how would you uh, delineate this? Like how do we uh, practice embodiment while preventing ourselves from identification with the body? Mm-hmm. That's an important question. Um <clears throat> And to some degree, I've wondered and I continue to wonder um, about the teachings around um, over-identifying with your body. I mean, I would say in in general, across all spiritual traditions, non-identification is 
like an essential part of a mature spiritual life. And so across the board, your body or anything else, yes, we are, um, we are pursuing non-identification. So I want to like make that clear, I guess. Um, and yet, so I think of, I think of wisdom, Jesus actually, and the tantric like approach, Mm -hmm. which is, um, accept everything, cling to nothing, basically. Everything is acceptable, but cling to nothing. And so I feel like it's kind of that mentality with the body, like engaging in practices that allow you to deeply connect to your body, to deeply sense and feel your body. Um, but while balancing it with, with this um, not over identification. So my, my feeling on that and also my personal experience is like when you have cultivated that depth of connection, it enables you, like it, it, uh, gives you the freedom to not over identify. And so I think about this from like, like you, you could talk about weight or appearance, um, and you could also talk about health issues. And I think all of that is really important um, where you now, in it, with a deep cultivation of body connectedness, you are um, able to meet the needs of your body in some sense, like perfectly, like because your intuition is strong and you can feel the sensations of your body, you know what it wants to eat, you know when it wants to move, you know what it needs like in any given moment. And so you can meet that without overly contemplating it. theory, and I would say again, my experience is that your body finds its natural alignment when you are connected to it, but not over-identified to it. And then you find yourself in good health. Like you find yourself in, um, at a comfortable, natural weight that feels good to you. And you might find that you can appreciate your appearance, you know, like those things start to come naturally because you have this alignment with your body. Um, and in that way, I think you don't spend your energy like over identifying, for instance, with the appearance of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like to um, see it as like, like the way that um, in meditation we observe without, you know, interacting, without reacting. Um, mm-hmm in kind of the same way with our body and um, the way I like to frame it is that like, if we can observe our thoughts, then we recognize that us and our thoughts are two different things because we can observe it. So it's not us obviously. And it's kind of a similar thing, I believe with the, with the body um, and that we can observe it. And if we can observe it, you know, we can be present to it and, you know, be embodied and actually directly apprehend what's going on. 
mm-hmm. without rejecting, without getting mixed up in, you know, the, the um, attachment and aversion aspect of it. But we can also recognize that since we're observing it, mm-hmm. that it's not the observer, it's not us. And so, yeah. and like, it's, it's kind of like a weird, I mean, obviously these things, you can't really describe in words accurately because mm-hmm. it's ultimately experience itself. And, um, but the idea of like, like going back to our bodies as a temple, you know, um, of the spirit, like that's, that's a, a one lens to, to look at it from. Um, but I think the deeper you go into it, um, the more you see that it's not the body that contains the spirit, it's the spirit that contains the body, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a pretty radical switch. I think that that can happen. I think so too. I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think that that is significant. I think that's a very significant point. <laughs> so and I what, think it takes a, it's a process to get there though. You know, that's yeah. for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your individual experience of prayer meditation or just spiritual practice in general? And what's your primary method? I think you said centering prayer, right? Yeah, I did say centering prayer. And it's one thing that I'm accepting or just not resisting is the way that I've observed my spiritual practice shift. Um, and it, it almost feels seasonal. Like it, it seems like for about four months, I will be very committed to one thing. And then I'll just have a, like a strong sense of moving to another thing. Um, and so like I can look at this year and see how I've been through a few different seasons. And um, I was I do very much think that centering prayer is one of the most powerful um, spiritual practices, particularly in the Christian tradition. But if you're if you're in the Christian tradition, that's like I feel like your your best opportunity to really mature spiritually. So I absolutely um, am a am a practitioner of that. Like I said, but I just find, and I know that this is unique to each person. Um, I went through this whole season this summer where I was just dancing, like a spiritual practice, and I would for like 15 minutes a day, just turn on whatever lit me up and like dance so hard, like really hard. Um, and that was liberating. That was so liberating. And it took me, and I didn't know right away that's what was happening either. I just like felt this compulsion to be dancing. And, um, and so I went with it and I found that it was really powerful. And like, that is what I needed. And in some ways I don't even, it's a mystery, like what I was even gaining specifically. Was it the physical exertion? Was it the rhythm? Like what, what was it? I don't know. I just knew like, that's what I needed at that time. I also went through a season just this year. And I'm just talking about this year, um, where I journaled every single morning, like several pages. And after a while I realized like, this is my spiritual practice right now. This is what I need. And so maybe it was that during that season, I was, you know, particularly in my head. And Mm -hmm. so I was balancing that. Um, And you can, you know, you can infer that like during the dancing season, I just particularly needed something more embodied. Um, And during centering prayer, you know, I needed that 
what I would say is perhaps more spiritual. So I think there's a sense that like, if we can be in touch with our needs and we have started to create a strong inner observer and, you know, we're down the path, then we're liberated to perceive and receive like what it is we need at any time to create the alignment in those three centers of knowing. Um, So I also walk a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you said that because there's kind of this, um, tendency in the contemplative circles to uh, say like, okay, well, you've got to, you know, stick to one, one thing, you know, go deep. And that's like, you know, that's, that's important. Like, you know, you don't want to just scratch the surface of these spiritual practices that are thousands mm-hmm. of years old and that right. <laughs> practice for their entire lives. But like, also, I, I always tend to, to quote this uh, uh, Gurdjieff when, when he says that like, these practices are like alarm clocks and, you know, after uh, listening to one alarm clock for so long, your body begins to get used to it and sleep through it. And so you have to continually find new things to wake you up. And, and I feel the same way because, you know, I, I constantly, you know, I have some dedicated practices like, like mantra or centering prayer or um, self-inquiry that I consistently practice, but I also find value in just kind of seeing what's in the moment and what it needs. And, you know, like if I'm uh, in the grocery store and somebody, you know, mouths off or cuts in front of me or whatever, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, now's the time for loving kindness. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I, oh my gosh. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad that you're saying that because that is sort of a point I got to. And I had a lot of resistance because I basically had Cynthia's voice in my head, like, talking about how she's practiced centering prayer like every day of her life for 30 years or like something and like you know looking up to these people and this concept or this this um yeah what the idea that we have to stick with one thing forever and go super deep um and it's it's rigid you know Mm -hmm. and i i feel like what i see evolving is the, what comes after the rigidity, like mm-hmm. what, what comes after that from an evolutionary perspective, like that has served us for a long time. I mean, all the yogis would say it too, like it's pretty rigid, but even in the yoga community, there's a huge shift from that, that rigid framework to this like intuitive fluid And in some sense, I'll say like more feminine, like a more feminine approach. And Mm. of course, I don't mean male or female. I just mean that generally we would put rigidity in in a masculine framework. Like that's much more of a masculine approach. And I see rising and a lot of, you know, I think you might agree there's a lot of conversation about it, but this rising feminine is a much more fluid energy that make space for shifting with the seasons, for instance, because that's what the world does. That's what creation literally does. Um, yeah. It does. There's not one season all year, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the concept of impermanence, like, you know, nothing, nothing lasts forever and nature abhors a straight line. And <laughs> so like, I think partly, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely value in, discipline and like sticking to something because 
it prevents us, you know, from, from our, you know, egoic minds from saying, this is getting too difficult or too, you know, too intimate or too dangerous or whatever. And then I'm going to do this, you know, because we're getting too close to the dissolution of the ego, you know, but, Mm um, yeah. Um, so do you have any advice for spiritual seekers that are yearning to connect with, um, embodiment or the divine feminine, um, in this crazy 2020 chaotic time that we live? Sure. Well, there was one thing I was going to, I was going to say really quick, um, to just kind of piggyback on you. And that is that I do, I think that discipline is especially important, like in the beginning, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that it serves you so well to get to a certain point. And then I think you naturally sense the shifts. So I just want to say how much I value the place for discipline as well. Um, But talking about uh, embodied practice in these crazy times, um, you know, a few things come up. I mean, I would say, and it's so basic, like it's so simple, but if you aren't moving your body in some way throughout the day, you know, there's a huge piece of yourself that you're not accessing. And so there's no prescription, like there's no prescription. So like, don't set yourself to any standard. And even if it really is just for a few minutes each day, um, if it is just a walk or, you know, some form of yoga or dance, you know, whatever like resonates with you is the thing. Um, and then, you know, something we do a lot, and by the way, as a shameless plug, I can help you develop an embodied practice (laughs) if you need some help with that. Um, that is part of what I do. Um, Yeah, but then something we do a lot, so my husband's a a therapist, I'm a spiritual and embodiment coach, and we spend a lot of time working with clients to feel their emotions in their body. And so if you're doing any kind of personal development or spiritual work, like this is probably not an unfamiliar idea to you, but especially in these times where we're anxious, um, you might be experiencing depression, a lot of, a lot of things. Just the practice of coming back to the sensation of that in your body. Like when you realize that you are emotionally charged, can you locate it in your Mm -hmm. physical form? And um, it's great for de-escalating the emotional experience. I mean, not that, and I don't mean that as as a way to resist it, but as a way to, to like not resist it. Mm-hmm. to really be there with it, to not try to suppress it or ignore it or make it go away, but to let it fully arise and to let it fully, fully go. I had, I did this great training with, um, Katie Silcox, who is a, is a yoga teacher among and spiritual guide among other things. And it was all about, um, emotions and emotional regulation. And what I learned is that it takes about a full minute for for the physiological experience of an emotion to like rise and fall. And Mm -hmm. so as you feel the rising of that emotional experience, locate it in your body. I always like put a hand on my body where Mm -hmm. the sensation is and just give, give yourself over to it 
and it will naturally fall. Like it will Mm -hmm. naturally fall. If you can just pause long enough for a full minute, 60 seconds to be with it and to let it pass. And I think that that really keeps us on like, an. I guess this is on another note, but from storing those emotional experiences and sometimes traumas like in the tissues of our body and keeps our vessel clear, free and clear, you know, so that we can have these spiritual experiences that we want to have. So touch your own body mm-hmm. <laughs> at the risk of getting weird. <laughs> like no, touch yeah. your own body. I think that's just an important practice that we, that we don't do, that we don't do. I, and it makes me think, I'll just say this one more thing. I was just talking to a client who struggles with anxiety And she said she just found herself kind of when she was having an anxious experience, like rubbing her thigh, her hands up and down her thighs. And at first, like, thought, like, this is a weird thing to do. But that was what she needed in that experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think just being willing to, like, touch our own bodies can go a long way. Yeah. It's like, it's like emotional judo almost because Mm. (laughs) like, you know, you're not, you're not resisting, but you're kind of accepting whatever's there and, you know, then you can do the takedown. But um, I've noticed that in myself, like um, just the uh, awareness of an emotion or a feeling like like frustration and locating it in the body, like definitely, you know, cause you can, like we said, like you can see it, you know, it's not the lens you're looking through. It's something that you're looking at. Yes. And um, I've noticed like personally, you know, if I can sense uh, like frustration or, you know, uh, irritation or irritability or, you know, any, any of those kinds of emotions, you know, rise up once I can, you know, pinpoint that and say like, ah, look there, that is, you know, Mm -hmm. there is frustration, there is, you know, anger or whatever. It's, it's crazy how quick it'll just dissipate. Yes. And just the act of observing it, it's like, you know, the sun, you know, is our awareness and it's just beating on the cloud and then the cloud dissipates. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's such a good analogy. (laughs) Well, so uh, what practice will you be leading us in today? So today I'm going to lead you in divine alchemy meditation. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I love Do you want that. me to tell you what it's about? No, I think we should. Okay. I think we should leave it a secret. Okay. And, and then they can figure it out when they when they listen. Love it. Um, great. Well, Jane, this has been a blast. Um, you're so easy to talk to and I appreciate everything you're doing and your work. And, um, I definitely encourage all the methods listeners to go check you out and, you know, uh, develop some embodiment practices. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been, it's truly been a pleasure.